Letter fifty one of Evelina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Evelina by Fanny Burney. Letter fifty one. Evelina in continuation. I have just received a most affecting letter from Mr. McCartney. I will enclose it, my dear sir, for your perusal. More than ever have I cause to rejoice that I was able to assist him. Mr. McCartney to Miss Anville. Madam, impressed with deepest, the most heartfelt sense of the exalted humanity with which you have rescued from destruction an unhappy stranger, allow me, with humblest gratitude, to offer you my fervent acknowledgments, and to implore your pardon for the terror I have caused you. You bid me, madam, live. I have no, indeed, a motive for life, since I should not willingly quit the world while I withhold from the needy and distressed any share of that charity which a disposition so noble would otherwise bestow upon them. The benevolence with which you have interested yourself in my affairs induces me to suppose you would wish to be acquainted with the cause of that desperation from which you snatched me, and the particulars of that misery of which you have so wonderfully been a witness. Yet, as this explanation will require that I should divulge secrets of a nature the most delicate, I must entreat you to regard them as sacred, even though I forbear to mention the names of the parties concerned. I was brought up in Scotland, though my mother, who had the sole care of me, was an Englishwoman, and had not one relation in that country. She devoted to me her whole time. The retirement in which we lived, and the distance from our natural friends, she often told me, were the effect of an unconquerable melancholy with which she was seized upon the sudden loss of my father, some time before I was born. At Aberdeen, where I finished my education, I formed a friendship with a young man of fortune, which I considered as the chief happiness of my life. But when he quitted his studies, I considered it as my chief misfortune, for he immediately prepared by direction of his friends to make the tour of Europe. As I was destined for the church, had had no prospect even of maintenance from my own industry, I scarce dared permit even a wish of accompanying him. It is true he would joyfully have borne my expenses, but my affection was as free from meanness as his own, and I made a determination the most solemn never to lessen its dignity by submitting to pecuniary obligations. We corresponded with great regularity, and the most unbounded confidence from the space of two years, when he arrived at Lyon on his way home. He wrote me thence the most pressing invitation to meet him at Paris, where he intended to remain some time. My desire to comply with his request, and shorten our absence, was so earnest, that my mother, too indulgent to control me, lent me what assistance was in her power, and in an ill-fated moment, I set out for that capital. My meeting with this dear friend was the happiest event of my life. He introduced me to all his acquaintance, and so quickly did time seem to pass at that delightful period, that the six weeks I had allotted for my stay were gone, ere I was sensible I had missed so many days. But I must now own, that the company of my friend was not the sole subject of my felicity. I became acquainted with a young lady, daughter of an Englishman of distinction, with whom I formed an attachment, which I have a thousand times vowed, a thousand times sincerely thought, would be as lasting as my life. She had but just quitted a convent in which she had been placed when a child, and though English by birth, she could scarcely speak her native language. Her person and disposition were equally engaging. But chiefly I adored her for the greatness of the expectation, which, for my sake, she was willing to resign. 
When the time for my residence in Paris expired, I was almost distracted at the idea of quitting her. Yet I had not the courage to make our attachment known to her father, who might reasonably form for her such views as would make him reflect, with a contempt which I could not bear to think of, such an offer as mine. Yet I had free access to the house, where she seemed to be left almost wholly to the guidance of an old servant, who was my fast friend. But, to be brief, the sudden and unexpected return of her father, one fatal afternoon, proved the beginning of the misery which has ever since devoured me. I doubt not but he had listened to our conversation, for he darted into the room with the rage of a madman. Heavens! what a scene followed! What abusive language did the shame of a clandestine affair, and the consciousness of acting ill, induce me to brook! At length, however, his fury exceeded my patience. He called me a beggarly, cowardly Scotchman. Fired at the words, I drew my sword. He, with equal alertness, drew his, for he was not an old man, but, on the contrary, strong and able as myself. In vain his daughter pleaded. In vain did I, repentant of my anger, retreat. His reproaches continued. Myself, my country, were loaded with infamy till no longer constraining my rage. We fought, and he fell. At that moment I could almost have destroyed myself. The young lady fainted with terror. The old servant, drawn to us by the noise of the scuffle, entreated me to escape, and promised to bring intelligence of what should pass to my apartments. The disturbance which I heard raised in the house obliged me to comply, and in a state of mind inconceivably wretched I tore myself away. My friend, whom I found at home, soon discovered the whole affair. It was near midnight before the woman came. She told me that her master was living, and her young mistress restored to her senses. The absolute necessity for my leaving Paris, while any danger remained, was forcibly argued by my friend. The servant promised to acquaint him of whatever passed, and he to transmit to me her information. Thus circumstanced, with the assistance of this dear friend, I effected my departure from Paris, and not long after I returned to Scotland. I would fain have stopped by the way, that I might have been nearer the scene of all my concerns but the low state of my finances denied me that satisfaction. The miserable situation of my mind was soon discovered by my mother, nor would she rest till I communicated the cause. She heard the whole story with an agitation which astonished me. The name of the parties concerned seemed to strike her with horror. But when I said, We fought, and he fell! My son, cried she, you have then murdered your father! And she sunk breathless at my feet. Comments, madam, upon such a scene as this would to you be superfluous, and to me agonizing. I cannot, for both our sakes, be too concise. When she recovered, she confessed all the particulars of a tale which she had hoped never to have revealed. Alas! the loss she had sustained my father was not by death. Bound to her by no ties but those of honour, he had voluntarily deserted her. Her settling in Scotland was not the effect of choice. She was banished thither by a family but too justly incensed. Pardon, madam, that I cannot be more explicit. My senses, in the greatness of my misery, actually forsook me, and for more than a week I was wholly delirious. My unfortunate mother was yet more to be pitied, for she pined with unmitigated sorrow, eternally reproaching herself for the danger to which her too strict silence had exposed me. When I recovered my reason, my impatience to hear from Paris almost deprived me of it again, and though the length of time I waited for letters might justly be attributed to contrary winds, I could not bear the delay, and was twenty times upon the point of returning thither at all hazards. At length, however, several letters arrived at once, 
and from the most insupportable of my afflictions I was then relieved. For they acquainted me that the horrors of parricide were not in reserve for me. They informed me also that as soon as the wound was healed, a journey would be made to England, where my unhappy sister was to be received by an aunt, with whom she was to live. This intelligence somewhat quieted the violence of my sorrows. I instantly formed a plan of meeting them in London, and by revealing the whole dreadful story convincing this irritated parent that he had nothing more to apprehend from his daughter's unfortunate choice. My mother consented, and gave me a letter to prove the truth of my assertions. As I could but ill afford to make this journey, I travelled in the cheapest way that was possible. I took an obscure lodging—I need not, madam, tell you where—and boarded with the people of the house. Here I languished, week after week, vainly hoping for the arrival of my family. But my impetuosity had blinded me to the imprudence of which I was guilty in quitting Scotland so hastily. My wounded father, after his recovery, relapsed, and when I had waited in the most comfortless situation for six weeks, my friend wrote me word that the journey was yet deferred for some time longer. My finances were then nearly exhausted, and I was obliged, though most unwillingly, to beg further assistance from my mother, that I might return to Scotland. Oh, madam! My answer was not from herself. It was written by a lady who had long been her companion, and acquainted me that she had been suddenly taken ill of a fever, and was no more. The compassionate nature of which you have given such noble proofs assures me I need not, if I could, paint to you the anguish of a mind overwhelmed with such accumulated sorrows. Enclosed was a letter to a near relation, which she had, during her illness, with much difficulty written, and in which, with the strongest maternal tenderness, she described my deplorable situation, and entreated his interest to procure me some preferment. Yet so sunk was I by misfortune, that a fortnight elapsed before I had the courage or spirit to attempt delivering this letter. I was then compelled to it by want. To make my appearance with some decency, I was necessitated myself to the melancholy task of changing my coloured clothes for a suit of mourning, and then I proceeded to seek my relation. I was informed he was not in town. In this desperate situation, the pride of my heart, which hitherto had not bowed to adversity, gave way, and I determined to entreat the assistance of my friend, whose offered services I had a thousand times rejected. Yet, madam, so hard is it to root from the mind its favourite principles or prejudices, call them what you please, that I lingered another week ere I had the resolution to send away a letter, which I regarded as the death of my independence. At length, reduced to my last shilling, shunned insolently by the people of the house, and almost famished, I sealed this fatal letter and with a heavy heart determined to take it to the post-office. But Mr. Branton and his sons suffered me not to pass through their shop with impunity. They insulted me grossly, and threatened me with imprisonment if I did not immediately satisfy their demands. Stung to the soul, I bid them have but a day's patience, and flung from them in a state of mind too terrible for description. My letter, which I now found, would be received too late to save me from disgrace, I tore into a thousand pieces and scarce could I refrain from putting an instantaneous, an unlicensed period to my existence. In this disorder of the senses, I formed the horrible plan of turning footpad, for which purpose I returned to my lodging, and collected whatever of my apparel I could part with, which I immediately sold, and with the produce purchased a brace of pistols, powder, and shot. I hope, however, you will believe me when I most solemnly assure you, my sole intention was to frighten the passengers I should assault with these dangerous weapons, which I had not loaded, but from a resolution, a dreadful one I own, to save myself from an ignominious death if seized. And indeed, I thought, 
that if I could but procure money sufficient to pay Mr. Branton, and make a journey to Scotland, I should soon be able to, by the public papers, to discover whom I had injured, and to make private retribution. But, madam, new to every species of villainy, my perturbation was so great, that I could with difficulty support myself, yet the Brantons observed it not as I passed through the shop. Here I stop, what followed is better known to yourself, but no time can ever efface from my memory that moment when, in the very action of preparing for my own destruction, or the lawless seizure of the property of others, you rushed into the room and arrested my arm. It was indeed an awful moment. The hand of Providence seemed to intervene between me and eternity. I beheld you as an angel. I thought you dropped from the clouds. The earth, indeed, had never presented to my view a form so celestial. What wonder, then, that a spectacle so astonishing should, to a man disordered as I was, appear too beautiful to be human? And now, madam, that I have performed this painful task, the more grateful one remains of rewarding, as far as is in my power, your generous goodness, by assuring you it shall not be thrown away. You have awakened me to a sense of the false pride by which I have been actuated, a pride which, while it scorned assistance from a friend, scrupled not to come held from a stranger though at the hazard of reducing that stranger to a situation as destitute as my own. Yet, oh! how violent was the struggle which tore my conflicting soul ere I could persuade myself to profit by the benevolence with which you were so evidently disposed to exert in my favour! By means of a ring, the gift of my much-regretted mother, I have for the present satisfied Mr. Branton, and by means of your compassion, I hope to support myself either till I hear from my friend, to whom at length I have written, or till the relation of my mother returns to town. To talk to you, madam, of paying my debt would be in vain. I never can. The service you have done me exceeds all power of return. You have restored me to my senses. You have taught me to curb those passions which bereft me of them. And since I cannot avoid calamity, to bear it as a man. An interposition so wonderfully circumstanced can never be recollected without benefit. Yet allow me to say, the pecuniary part of my obligation must be settled by my fair stability. I am, madam, with the most profound respect and heartfelt gratitude, your obedient and devoted humble servant, J. McCartney. End of letter fifty one.